say I have a question for you. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm telling you right now. It's going. We're capturing all this magic. No, you're not. I am too. We've been going Jacob, for 10 seconds. <laughs> I cannot believe we've been going for 10 seconds. <laughs> Oh, one of these days I might take over the controls, nope. but not today. So, Jacob, I have a question for you. Uh-huh. How did you're, you were in such a conundrum last week, mm. worried about everything? Mm-hmm. How did your little two days work out for you? Because I know that you were a little bit, uh, I don't know, cranky, should cranky. we say. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because. I was, I I don't know. I felt so self-conscious about that last episode, by the way. Even though it was only a few days ago as of recording this, because our usual day is recording on Saturdays, which is what we're doing now. Last time was Wednesday because we had COVID and it delayed everything, literally. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, this, these two days were were decent. Uh, Thursday... I, a lot of my students, we have to take these, and I know you know this, I'm explaining this for the audience. We have to do these screeners down here in the state of Texas. I'm not sure how ubiquitous uh, some of these screeners are. I know a lot of people have iStation, they have things like that. We have what we call the STAR screener. STAR is, it's an acronym, something having to do with Texas, but it's essentially just a 33 question timed test that kids have to sit at. They take it. Um, A lot of it's based on vocabulary or whatever, and it kind of spits out a bunch of information for teachers. A lot of this information is faulty. Um, it's it. I, I consider it a piece of data amongst a bunch, but in terms of what it weighs for how I use it, it's extremely low. However, um, we only do it three times a year, so it's really not too bad. We've seen campuses that do it once a month uh, and everything else. Kids that are in our resource classrooms or our reading labs, what we call them, um, they do them more. So uh, we we get kind of the the least amount of this in our lives. So it's I don't really complain about it too much. But the what I do try to do is make sure my students take it relatively seriously, simply for the fact that I like them to be represented in their growth. Now that program doesn't do that well. I don't think it does it accurately, but it does demonstrate something to people that look. And I always this is what I tell my students. I go, I don't particularly use this because I talk to you personally. I test you personally. I conference with you personally. I know where you're at personally because I'm doing my job. But for people that need a program to tell them everything, I want you guys to be represented. So I was absent when they did it the week before because I was sick. So when I came back, I had them do it again because they didn't take it seriously. <laughs> uh, just because I wanted them to have the, the numbers that represent them doesn't bother me. No one's going to come at me and yell at me for your kids or low or whatever. It just doesn't happen like that. They don't dig into stuff like that, um, at least with this screener. So um, I had them do it again. And then we caught up on a video that I owed them because we read uh, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, and it's always a fun video. So we did that on that first day. And then the second day, we did a slam poem, talked about language, talked about uh, the story that was told. There was some dialogue in the slam poem, which connected to what we had been talking about in drama and how dialogue creates character and all of that other stuff. So um, it was pretty fun. It got them going. But a lot of them, my main goal for Friday's lesson was to 
just get their ideas rolling back into their writing, right? To get that workshop flowing, to get um, to get those nebulous early days, which we'll be talking about on the podcast today, into flowing the right direction. And it was pretty successful. I had some kids that were uh, – I've had some new students since the last time I've done slam. So slam for kids that aren't uh, familiar with it. So, like there's always a kid that goes, why are they yelling? <laughs> It's just like, it's just the style of it. It's just, it's just what they do. Listen to their words or whatever, but it's pretty good. A lot of kids got some ideas from it. Um, I had some kids go, oh my God, it made me think of this. And we connected it to a mini lesson that we did. Um, but I had a really great question. The poem was called Almost. People should look it up. Maybe we'll link it in the description um, for people to go find. But the the poem is called Almost, but it's it's talking about like their favorite words. So we started the lesson with them. uh, They were talking about, I asked them what their favorite words were. So they listed three words that they really liked and three words they really hated um, because both of those show up in the poem. And then I had them pick one of each and describe why, right? Uh, and then we watched the poem. And then after it, I asked them, what was one of their almost? What's an almost in their life? And a lot of them really took to that reflectively. You know, some of them had silly answers like, you know, I almost uh, didn't get in trouble when I cheated on the test, you know, or something like that. But a lot of them were like, like I had one student, she wrote this amazing poem off this idea where she almost was successful during a track running event. And she said that she tripped and stuff and failed, but she had realized afterwards that she really didn't give it her effort. And when she kind of let herself be more injured than what she was when she did it. So it was, it was an almost like she almost gave it her full effort, but she really didn't. And it was, it was just a really amazing piece. I, I was reading it and I was like, this is such a, cause I was like, well, how often do we do this? Right. It's such a human thing where you give up a little too early and you, you know, you kind of feel shame on it, right? It's like, man, I really, I really didn't try. And it, it was such a really great thing. But so uh, it was really good on that Friday. So I turned my frown upside down to answer your question. By the end of the week, I was very positive uh, by the end of Friday, I think is evidence where we all sat in our teacher circles and just chatted and stuff. Not a negative bone in my body at that point. Um, but yeah, it was rough start that just having that delay. I still sat there the whole time going, these two days are dumb, but I think I capitalized on it as best as I possibly could. All right. Well, with that answer there, thank you, Jacob. We're Jacob Chastain and I'm Pam Ochoa. We're doing craft and drafts. So everybody welcome. And Jacob, do we have anything special going on or any questions to answer? No, or no we questions going straight on this to one? the topic. All we're, right. We're, we're going straight into the topic today. All and right, I all right. I think that uh what we're going to be touching on is something we've touched on before. This is that this is something I touch on in Rightfully Empowered. Um, it's something that you and I talk about a lot, but it was inspired by our partner who we still haven't convinced to come on the podcast just yet. But she came up to me and she's like, she's what we consider. And she would say this, by the way, she would say that she is totally, she's the reader 
through and through, right? She's the reading workshop person. It's what she loves. She loves Mm -hmm. talking about books. She confers. That is what she's great at. She's really good at empowering students in that way. And writing, even though she's great at it, because I've literally seen her do it, she feels more self-conscious about it. She struggles with a little bit more. It's a little bit more nebulous. And working side by side with me for two years, you know, she's uh, put it almost on herself to open up her writing workshop a little bit. And she brings this up every time it happens. But so this inspired this episode. She came up to me and she goes, she goes, Chastain, the the hardest part about writing workshop is is this beginning phase where kids are finding ideas and they're poking around trying to figure out what they want to latch on to and it feels like there's not a lot going and she, you know, she grabbed her head and was like, ah, you know, like it drives her crazy as a teacher to see not a lot of work happening in physical space, right? It's happening mm-hmm. mentally. They're processing. They're selecting. They're doing all these things. So that's our topic today is, is really the beginning of the workshop, specifically the writing workshop when kids are being introduced to maybe a new concept. Um, there's no prompt. Uh, it's just them trying to figure out where they want to go, what do they want to really hone in on in a piece, and and how to get started, essentially, and how to manage that as a teacher from balancing it. When do you know you're trying to grab too much, when you're trying to control too much, and when you're so hands-off that you're not helping them at all. So that's probably what we're going to be talking about today. This is Craft and Draft, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. All righty, Ms. Ochoa. How do you feel about the beginning of writing workshop. Do you feel that same thing that our partner was referring to where she's just kids are kind of meandering through ideas and and trying to figure out what they're trying to do and there's almost like this this anxiety that rises where you're like, "Oh my god, am I is is something really happened? Are they playing too much? Are they talking too much? Are we really progressing?" That that anxiety at the beginning of the workshop. Do you do you sympathize with this idea? I empathize with the idea. <laughs> I guess that's a better word. No, I'm just, yeah, I mean, I do. And as a matter of fact, um, I had challenged my students. You know, we were doing drama, as you know. So I had the students at the beginning just to kind of get back into the idea of narrative and story because we were doing uh, informational text before that. I wanted them to kind of, I had them brainstorm a uh, five-column chart. And the first one was uh, possible settings, possible characters, possible fears, because we were doing, like you said, Monsters on Maple Street. So I wanted to kind of focus on it was the fear that drove these people. They couldn't name the fear, but there was still fear of something. So we kind of looked at how fear drives a character, whether they're they're afraid to succeed or they're afraid they'll be found out or they're afraid, you know, those kinds of things that often motivates a character. So we kind of talked a little bit about that. So the kids uh, listed several fears. And so as typical, I always start with this brainstorming idea. I get a lot out of it. And I think that helps me when it comes to that awkward moment of, okay, kids go work, but so that if they can't do anything, they can at least list right? So they feel like they can at least do that. So it kind of gets the juices flowing. But then what happens is I'll say, okay, why don't y'all use some of these ideas that you've listed and you can mix and match, you know, so they would just put random names down there and then they would mix and match by figuring out what fear this 
this person would have, where are they going to have it at, uh, who we're going to, who's going to cause it to occur, where is the conflict going to be, and then they were to write a story. So, so go forth and write. I mean, it, you know, right? We've been doing it for a few months now and different ways and different things. And so I said, go write, you know, and uh, be, be kind of imaginative. This is your chance to be creative. And would you know it that most of them just stared at the page and they listed and then they were like, now what do I do? And I'm like, well, I told you to, to write, you know, and they're like, okay, but what are we supposed to write? I mean, like they missed everything. I thought all of them did, but some of them did. So I would walk around and um, I came up with this. This seemed to help the students more than anything. Um, so maybe I'll share this. And maybe it can help somebody tonight. But one of the things that I did when I in my conferencing and I and I used it over and over once it worked the first time. And the student was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start. So they were really, truly staring at that blank page. They really didn't know how to start. They might have had a name in their head, but they, I mean, it was it was really a tougher assignment that I thought oh, I'd be easy. No, it wasn't for them. So I said, pick one of your characters, just pick one of them. Which one do you want to be in your story? on your list. So just, if you have to close your eyes and put your, put your finger on one. So, you know, let's say they pulled up Steve just for the, okay. So, so then my next, so I asked them a series of questions. So maybe we could write some of these down. I might need to write them down to remember them because I have these moments in the classroom and they're successful, but I didn't write anything down. So who knows if I'll ever do it again. Right. But what I asked him was, tell me about Steve. What does he look like? And so this is just a person off the, uh, a name off the page. And they were like, uh, he's tall. I'm like, okay, what color hair does he have? Uh, brown hair. Is it straight, curly? So then they started doing that. So where does Steve live? So I started asking all these questions about this character that they pulled up. And I said, what's he afraid of? And then they said, well, huh, he's afraid to, he's afraid not to fit in. I'm like, okay, who fits in on your page? Who on this page might fit in? Who would be against him? And he goes, oh, well, Sally, I think is going to be mad at him. I'm like, okay, so Sally, is Sally popular? Yeah, what does she look like? So that's kind of what I did. And I said, okay, do you have an idea for a story? And they're like, I think I do. I said, okay, start by describing your character. And then see where it goes from there and let your character write the story. And I mean, I did that. It worked for this one. I went over there and this was a student that usually is misbehaving because he would rather stall. And he was over there just writing. And when I went back around, he had a full page and he'd already turned the page and he was on the second page. And I'm like, so I guess did that work for you? And he goes, yeah, I mean, it's just, I can't get enough on my idea. <laughs> so he was just writing. So then I used it. That same problem came up throughout the day. And I used that with the that same process, starting with the character. Tell me about your character. And just, it, it doesn't matter. I want it to be made up, whatever. Give me, give me, give me a feature. And when I did that, they, I mean, it, most of them had something to write after that. And so it was kind of cool. And so that kind of helped. Now, did it help a hundred percent? Probably not. But the ones that I had a conference with that were really struggling and uh, it seemed to work with them. So that might be something that could help. 
other people when they're in that spot, especially with story writing. There, well, there's so much there, right? I mean, the way you, I, I think this is the interesting part of what we do. It's it's the scariest part, but I think it's the, also why what we do lends itself to to great writing, right? And it really comes down to, honestly, in my opinion, I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, really not only just trusting the process, but trusting uh that the just the the natural course of human creativity and i feel like we don't talk about this enough in teaching that so much but you know we, i know i've referenced it a handful of times on this podcast but you know human beings are wired to want to share their voice to share their experiences right i mean this is why story and like you know stuff like beowulf which is ancient and you know these mm-hmm. ancient you know these ancient narratives and stuff existed for so long because people shared these things this is why you know, not to get biblical, but this is why the the like the biblical stories are they're testimonies of people, right? It's because mm-hmm. history was not history in the way that we view history two thousand years ago or older than that, right? People shared history differently. Um, it wasn't so interested on the facts. What we consider history now is so modernized for what we use history for that we forget that we're literally wired over thousands and thousands of generations to create, to tell stories, to embellish, to push an agenda by telling a certain uh, narrative of a story. This is literally wired into how we process. And that that coalesces in this weird nebulous process of the writing workshop. It might sound I'm getting a little esoteric, I suppose, but I think in concrete terms, what that means is that if you set up parameters in your classroom, if you have put in the work to ignite students and not just ignite students, but really show them that this is a safe place to explore ideas, explore thoughts, explore beliefs, explore curiosity and where they don't feel like even if they're horrible writers, that if they write, the only thing they're going to be met with is a teacher going, "Mm, yeah, you used commas wrong. You used periods wrong. You need to go do that. Right. Or if they bring in, they have to pass all of their ideas by the teacher. Right. There's so many prerequisites that stifled this natural human desire to create, so to speak, that if you have that out of the way and you've really created an atmosphere that encourages students to do this, I think it allows us to do what you're talking about, which is kind of pivot and start pulling in things for students as you talk to them and confer with them. But I want to ask you about this mental part, right? Because this is something that I wrestled with trying to communicate. Um, And what's funny is this is really the origin of us thinking about this, I think, as a team, is Mm -hmm. you and I figuring out that we had the conversation when when a few years ago, where we were like, you know, the, the best part of workshop is that kids are thinking the part, the problem with workshop for people that if you have someone in your room that doesn't understand what's happening, they might see a lot of non-work happening. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they, and we had this conversation. If it's not on the page, right? If it's not on the wall, if, if there's not physical data to look at of some sort, um, this causes problems. It also causes problems for educators too, because like our partner, 
if you, it's really anxiety inducing. If kids aren't physically doing something, this causes this anxiety to kind of rise up, right? It, it's a, uh, it's like, oh my God, they, they need to be writing. They have to be moving their pencil. They have to be typing, you know, they have to be doing the research. They can't just be sitting there or chatting. That's wasting time, right? This is the whole bell to bell instruction thing. Workshop doesn't necessarily follow that in the traditional terms. I would argue it does follow the bell to bell instruction um, philosophy that has been permeating through schools for quite a while, but it's, it's a, a lot of it's happening inside, right? So I'll, I'll give an example. I'll tell a story. I have a student who had great success last six weeks. He wrote amazing pieces that were inspired by a documentary he saw on Netflix. That's what gave him his idea. And it totally shaped everything, um, that he was writing about. And it was awesome. And he was, this is a kid who doesn't like, he's not what I consider like one of my writers, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like all the, all of them write and stuff, but we have kids that, you know, they write because it's the class they write because they do this. But I have, you know, I have like my top tier kids that are really into writing and they love it. And this is something that they'll probably do forever. And then you have your kids who do it and they see value in it and they participate, but it's not something that they're particularly fully invested in all the time. They like sports, they like music or whatever else. He's one of those. He's a great student, but he doesn't produce. Um, he's, he's not one of the top producers. So he had great success last six weeks and he came in this six weeks. He was just saying, I just don't have, I just don't have ideas. I go, okay, well, just do what you did last time. He was like, well, I feel like I need to watch another documentary. And I'm like, I was like, that's a common writer thing. You know, you have one thing that inspires you. It leads to quite a bit of production. Um, but the same thing might not inspire you again, right? You know, inspiration is fickle. I think, uh, I don't remember who it was. I know Stephen King has talked about it. I know he talks about it in On Writing. Um, there's some quotes out there, but it talks about how, like the waiting on your muse, um, professional writers always say, you know, I'm really lucky that my muse shows up at my desk at 7am every morning. And what they mean by that is because they show up at 7am every morning to the desk, knowing that they're going to write the process just happens, right? Mm -hmm. If you set up the parameters, your brain is already working that way. And this is what's happening with this kid because he's thinking he's at home going, he knows that Netflix inspired him. So now he's on the lookout He's like, okay, maybe it's another documentary, but he's also like, maybe it's a song, you know, maybe I'll find it in my book. He's actively looking. And I think that is, that's what we craft in this workshop format is we train them that to show up. They know when they come to our classrooms, they're going to have to write. They're going to have to produce. They're going to have to take something from nothing right now. We give them inspiration. We give them strategies and we show them techniques and we give them model texts and we do all of that. But the work still goes to them. They have to show up to do this. But over time, their brains start wiring for that. And so you have these kids who start grabbing stuff. And he came to me Friday and he goes, Chastain, I got it. I have the idea. It came to me and he had said uh, that it came from this. It came from an idea he got while having a conversation with someone. And then something from a book he read connected it all. And it just clicked. And he goes, I got it. I know what I'm right about. And I'm like, there you go. But how many days has it been? We're in the third week of our six weeks, right? So it took mm -hmm. about three weeks for him to get there. Now that is fear inducing. There's so much happening mentally, right? But what did I do? How did I, uh, how did I manage my own anxiety from that? I conferenced with him often, 
right? He was still writing. Like, he was still doing stuff. He was Not a lot. A sentence a day. You know, I think he wrote a paragraph once. You know, he might have done some quick write stuff. But he was really kind of floundering. And But I conferenced with him regularly. I checked with him, talked to him with ideas. And then and sometimes we had conferences, and I was like, you know what? I think you're going to get it. You just don't have it right now. And I'd walk away. But that lack of pressure, right, that's – it's scary because we the whole system is saying you have to do this, right? The kid has to have grades, Miss Ochoa. You got to put in grades. And so this mental piece, uh, I don't know. That That's how I feel like my number one thing is trusting the process, but also that just conferencing so much. I feel like that really does help me through this process and just trusting that they're going to get there. Um but I don't know. I mean, did, did that story ring any bells for you? Uh, do you do you experience similar things in your space? Yeah, I mean, I I do. I've I uh, when you're talking about grades, you know, when parents are calling and going, I, "Is my son really failing?" and I'm like, "Well, he he hasn't gotten the story written yet, but once he gets it written and turns it in, I'll be more than happy to grade it." But they start to panic. So the, it's hard to keep everybody off your back while you're waiting on those grades cuz we are we do have a deadline. So it is. You're really you're it's hard not to show your pressure to the students. Does that make sense? And sometimes I'm not good at that and I feel a lot of pressure and then it it just ruins the whole process. So I have to be careful. So so, but I have learned over time that it's, you know, we'll just move it. We didn't get to something Friday and I said, and they're like, Ms. Ochoa, we're not going to get to it. We're taking too long on this. We're trying really hard on this. And I'm like, okay, we'll just move it to Monday. And they're like, okay. And then they kept working. They worked the whole time on what they were working on. But uh, this is my honors class, you know, so they are geared to work for the most part. And I mean, they weren't even playing because they, because they knew grades were due too. So they were trying to get their story, at least something turned in. I mean, it's not finished, but I've told them to turn in the first draft. So, but then the other thing that, um, that we were doing as well is we're taking that story and they're going to take a scene from the story a piece of that story and turn it into a drama to turn it into a scene. So there are three things that they're turning in for me on that one. And that is they're, uh, they're brainstorming chart. Then just their first draft of their story. We're not going to finish the story. If they want to finish it later, they can, but this is just this idea of getting story back in because we've been away from it for a while. But our, my really end goal was to get them to try to take a story that's written like a story and see if they can find stage directions out of that, see if they can find dialogue out of that, see if they can set at least one part of it at, and turn it into a scene. And so that has really stumped the students right there. So now that's why we had to have that story. Well, now that, that, you know, we're about to move into the next unit. And so they're feeling the pressure, but they're feeling the pressure only because uh, they know that I'm not going to be, we're not going to be working on that specific thing. We're about to move into the next type of writing and that would be argument. And so I told them that was coming. So the sooner you can get this done, the, the easier it'll be, or you'll be working on two pieces at the same time. Um, my final, my final timeline or deadline is that that probably the, probably the fifth week. So now they're kind of struggling. So 
I think there's a little bit of pressure there and I'm fighting with not giving in to the pressure right now because this turned out to be a lot harder for them. They weren't really ready for it. They're used to reading. They're not used to writing this type of stuff. And so it's kind of got all of them a little off kilter a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I'm fighting. And I think that's where our partner is. I think she's doing maybe a similar assignment. And uh, so they're all, I think she's struggling with the same thing I am on this uh, thing. We're a little bit different than you. Then we kind of, we kind of say we're going to do this, you know, the story right now where I think you are more free where they write whatever inspires them more. So you're looking at kind of a two different way that we approach this sometimes. I don't do all of the things like that. So, um, but what'll happen is I'll have this written and then we'll do some more pre-writing and then they'll be able to work back and forth on whatever they need to do. But I try to stay within the, the context of the curriculum in some way. But our curriculum did not say to do a playwright. So I, so I am going outside the box there a little bit, but I'm thinking by doing this little playwright, they're going to have to deal with stage directions. They're going to have to physically deal with and mentally deal with that as a writer. And I'm hoping it's going to give them a little transfer back into the reading. That's what I'm, that's my hope. So trying to use that, that craft to understand the craft, you know what I mean? See if they yeah. can draft it. So well, I'm hoping I, it works. We'll see. I think the, you know, I, I do have some, I, I would argue that I, I have a little bit more of a freeing process, so to speak. Uh, but with that said, like I still have students who are focusing on like their, like dialogue, for instance, like we've hit on dialogue quite a bit. Um, and it's really been interesting to watch them because they really weren't like when we were in poetry, like a lot of them were really writing just introspective type stuff. Now that we were in drama for a little bit, they've been writing a little bit more creatively, having stories that have dialogue in it, even throwing some dialogue in their poetry. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like we do they've just learned that I kind of, and I think it's the way I assess them too, is that they know I'm looking for them to use elements of stuff, not necessarily write specifically what we are going for. Now with that said, um, infinite choice is no choice at all in middle school. I think I, I kind of stole that quote. I, I believe from Kim Yaris, who's fantastic, which maybe she's the person we need to have on the podcast, by the way. Oh, that would be fun. I think she would love it. Yaris is fantastic. She was, she was a teacher and then she was a coach and then she went back to teaching. So she has quite a bit in common with mm-hmm. us that way, but she's written a lot of books. Um, I don't know. That's something to keep in mind, but she, uh, so she she brings up this idea that you know if you if infinite choice isn't really choice at all for students and I agree with that uh, for a large degree it's just the what I disagree with is how people substitute that idea because I feel like the traditional idea is you give them you know you simulate choice you give them four choices or whatever that mm-hmm. you've already pre planned and I, I think that's fine so to speak. Um, but I like what you and our partner do a lot, which is you'll often limit form and then leave everything else open for them to kind of go for. So you feel like, hey, you right. need to write a scene. You have those specific things, but everything else is really up to grab. I think that is – I think that's a fantastic way to do it. For me, I almost – I do like almost the opposite. I go, mm-hmm. 
your form is free. You need to have these elements in there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we, Mm -hmm. it's almost like I just flipped that process a little bit. And, you know, I think what it comes down to is really, you know, when we look at the data, you know, we're all pretty much even. So I would argue that both techniques are just as valuable as supporting the reading. Um, It's just a matter of what people are uh, comfortable with. But, you know, when it, I have really found a lot of success with in those early stages of the writing workshop is I find myself having tons of conferences where kids are just like Chastain. Like I had, I had a lot of these this week where they were like, I've already written about everything. And one of my students who's really opened up and she's written about tons of stuff. She was like, I've already written about everything. I've written about basketball. I've written about my relationship. I've written about school. You know, she was like, I've done all of this. And I was like, so write about it again. What's another angle you can take it. And yeah, teaching them this, the, the process of just going through and, and looking at something from different angles. I was like, I mean, I told her, I was like, have you ever read like a romance book? I was like, literally every romance book is the same. It's the, <laughs> something keeping these people apart until the end and where they finally get together. It is a story that is all this time. It's been done over and over again, but it's the small changes that make it interesting. And you might, re, you know, iterate on an idea 10 times before you finally do something that's really successful. That's like my whole motto in life with everything I've ever done with podcasting, everything. I just do it so much that eventually something turns out good. Like, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like that's literally, that's just how I operate. So I try to instill that in them because I feel like that's my, that's my knowledge as someone who's just been creating longer as I can go. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to do something tons, you know, you have to put your 10,000 hours in, you have to do something over and over again. And then eventually you come up with something that somehow connects the magic of, I think the lie that students believe sometimes, and I think this is just because it's a part of like the mythology of the creator is, you know, the struggling artist, you struggle for 20 years and then you finally craft something that's worth something. And I was like, yeah, I would argue there's probably a few people who do live that way. The vast majority of us, 95% of the population are just people that do things and then something becomes successful. And then like there's no rhyme or reason for it. It's just you double down and things work and you get better. And if you don't get better, you quit and you do something else. You know what I mean? Like if Teach Me Teacher would have never, you know, reached past like a few hundred people listening I would have stopped a long time ago, but it just keeps growing and it keeps doing same for crafted draft. Like if you and I didn't see more listeners coming over and sharing and the, the numbers going up, we'd probably be like, you know what? It was, it was a good experiment. We'll, we'll maybe try something again. We'll move on, but we see growth. So we just keep showing up. That doesn't mean every podcast is the next big thing, but sometimes like we have this moment where we do an episode, there's a, it really blows up and we're like, why? Huh. <laughs> I just don't know. Right. Like, I don't know. I, bet I do learn from this experience, even with you and me, you know, just our, my conversation grows me. So yeah. well, hopefully it's doing that for others. Well, exactly. And that, that's the kind of the point that I think that, uh, 
you know, we're so focused on pedagogy so often that, you know, these lessons in creation and time and stuff like that stuff that we can really give to young people of just teaching them. Like a lot of them want to be YouTube creators. They want to be TikTok people. They want to be Instagram famous. You know, they want all of these things, which are totally viable career options these days. There's tons of people that are able to do it. Um, and I think the one thing we can give them is this, this concept of, yeah, very few people hit gold on their first thing, right? Those are the rare unicorns. The rest of us just keep doing something and you do it because you like it and you enjoy it and you see some mild versions of success and you just keep rolling with it. And I I feel like when in these early times, especially like halfway through the year, which we already are, when you're talking to kids that have already seen success in writing, they finished a few pieces that they really like. There's some pieces that are on the wall or whatever. They've had this success you can come to them and go, yeah, that's cool. We keep doing it. We keep going and we keep going through this process. And I think when you get, when the workshop is really flowing, when they really trust that, um, I think that's where the magic happens because it's, it's, it's showing up to the gym every day. It's, you don't want to be here. You don't want to write about this, but you're going to, because that's what you do when you're in this space. And who knows magic might happen. You're going to feel, there's an old quote that says, uh, I forget who said it, but it was like, I never, I don't love writing, but I love having written. And mm-hmm. I think that is, that's such a great thing to give kids is like, you know, sometimes this is pain, right? Like writing mm-hmm. is, it does take time and it takes effort. But if you show up every day willing to do it, you might write something that's magical for yourself or for someone else. And that's, I feel like that is knowing that and internalizing that and then teaching that to kids that helps this beginning process feel less stressful. And it's just more kind of the, the process. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. You know, when I was walking around the room, I had a few that were struggling as I've already shared. Well, several, but the ones that all of a sudden the story showed up in their head and they started writing. It's really profound to go and watch those kids, but there were a few of them. I'm like, so how are you doing? And she's like, uh, one of the girls, she, and you could tell she had already, she was like on page three. And uh, I'm like, is everything okay? And she goes, yeah. And I said, do you just want me to move on? Leave you alone? She goes, please. Because <laughs> she was in the zone and I didn't want to interrupt it. So I just kept going. So um, I didn't get offended by that because I, I understand I've been in that zone where you're like, okay, okay, I'm finally there. Can you, can you not, you know? So I walk around, I had several that were, you know, no, I, I don't want, I don't want you to talk to me right now. Cause I'm really trying to figure it out. And then there's a few of them that were just staring at the page. And uh, so when you're looking at how many people in the room, you know, I, th- I think sometimes it, 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 we're at different places is what I was going to say, because I think it's sometimes where the pressure is, is we all have this idea that if that principal is going to walk into the room, everybody needs to be exactly where they're supposed to be whatever that is in the mind of that principal, because a lot of times they don't understand what we're doing. Uh, now we're we're fortunate we ours does, but I've I've been in there where they didn't. And um, but the thing is, um, if you were to come in and look at all the work, there were a lot of blank pages going on where the kids were just they they even had their pencil up and they had the pencil on the front line and they were just paused and that, I mean they were their, their principles on the page but you could tell they were really in deep thought and so 
some of them I would ask, do you, are you, you just need to continue to think? And they'd shake their head yes. And then some of them I said, do you need some help? And they're like, please. And then I'd come over. And then that's when we did that conversation I was talking about. And I found that that helped a lot of them. Some of them, they're like, no, I can't think of a, I can't, no, I can't, I can't think of a, a of a character. And I said, well, let's talk about the setting. Where do you want your story to take place? So describe that. And then they would start with that. So in this process, I'm busy letting them know they can begin anywhere in the story. Some of them began, I had one begin in the end. Because he goes, I have to know how it's going to end. That's the only way I'll know how to get them there. And I'm like, okay, I think that's just fine. So I didn't really force them. So, so as somebody, so the pressure is when people come in and they're seeing these kids with blank pages and they're just staring at it, it looks like they're not working. But because we've done this for so long, that doesn't panic me anymore. I can't say that it didn't panic me before, but it's even the same way with adults. You know, you've been in my, in some of my uh, presentations, but there's nothing funnier than I'm working with a new trainer and they're going, should we go tell them? Should we go tell them to start writing? Should we go tell them? I'm like, no, they'll start writing. Just you keep writing. The idea is for you to keep modeling. I'll model. If you want to move over there so some can see you, you can. Don't talk to them. Inevitably, they'll go over there and go, you know, we're supposed to start writing. And it's like, dude, you just, (laughs) no, you just, they're the ones that are going to be under panic in just a minute. So sure enough, though, everybody ends up writing before it's all said and done. And uh, I've seen it where we're all quiet and all of a sudden they're like, you can just hear that when one person realizes it close to the trainer, yeah, I think we're supposed to be writing. And then it just, you can hear the hush go over the room. And then all of a sudden, everybody's writing. We don't know what they're writing. That's the true free workshop that that I think, uh, if you could ever get to that, that I think that's more of a Nancy Atwell moment, if you will, uh, in the long run. But I think at the beginning with our neophyte writers, I think it's, you almost have to guide them in some some ways. You let them loose. Don't let me, I mean, I really think they need to be let loose. But I think sometimes when they're stuck, that's where we as a, as a facilitator need to come in and help them arrive. So I do that usually by questioning a little bit. I usually have some questions. And then when they get into it, then I say, if you have questions, come and ask me, or as I walk by, grab me. And so as I get started, like I had a few of them go, Ms. Ochoa, I'm not sure how to do this dialogue. Can you help me? You know, because that was one of the requirements because we're working with dialogue. I said, you have to have dialogue. And then one of them said, well, I can't have dialogue. I only have one one uh, character. And I said, then what do you need to do? And he goes, I guess I got to figure out another character. <laughs> so so the, the story starts writing itself once you get them there. And when that flow starts, I just think that's magical when they're all writing. There's nothing better than hearing those pencils or the are the typewriters go, you know, well, not typewriters. I just aged myself, but the, uh, you know, their Chromebooks going and all of that. It's pretty cool. It's neat to to watch it happen. So, but I do feel the pressure at times. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's what I have on that one. I think, you know, to maybe as a final point is, you know, once you're comfortable with this and really understand this, and I think the best way to understand the writer process is to do it yourself. If you're not writing somewhat regularly, um, you know, Kelly Gallagher, when I was talking to him, he was talking about most of his writing happens with kids, right? And he was just mm-hmm. modeling, going through that process. And I know if you have like a healthy conferencing circle that you go through, like 
sometimes I can't even find time to write because kids are like, Chastain, I need you over here. Chastain, Chastain, yeah, Chastain. That's, so that's me. that, that hurts that writing process sometimes, but I try to squeeze it in. Like I've been working on a slam poem, um, off and on in my own, just writing in front of the kids and whatnot. And our, the, the one thing that I think is extremely valid for us to do as educators is educate our administrators. If we have administrators who don't understand this, um, who walk in and go, well, you only had, you know, 10 kids engaged out of 15 because five were staring off into space. You know, my question would be, well, did you ask them what they were doing? Did you ask them what they were thinking about? If you can walk up to a student and they can tell you what they're thinking about, why they're thinking about it, and maybe where they want to go next in their thinking, that is writing. That is producing. That's creating. Mm -hmm. That's them doing the hard work of writing before putting it down on page. I mean, we have to remember writing is literally taking uh, thought. You're taking something non-physical and you're distilling it into something that makes sense. You're using symbols that represent language and meaning. You're, there's so many processes happening when students are writing. It's a complex process. So if you have students who are not on level, who are maybe behind a few years, who maybe have had bad experiences with writing, who have had all of these uh, negative uh, just experiences with the, the classroom in general, this is going to go slow at times. You are going to have kids who process at a slower rate, who don't always produce at such a high level, who cannot write for 30 minutes. You know, the the number one word that I say over and over again in my classroom to the point where my students mimic me is I say, make progress. That's what I say. That is my goal every day. Make progress. And I tell them over and over again, it might be mental progress, right? It might be topic selection. It might be <laughs> word selection. It might be revising. It might be editing. It might be all of these things. But I tell them to make progress. And sometimes, like, if I don't get to a kid in a classroom, when I'm standing at the door, like, if it's the end of the day or whatever, and I'm talking to them, like, all right, what progress did you make? And I just have them check in with me. And they, they start to learn that language. And I think it's important for us to instill that in students because if we can get them to think that way, then if someone walks in your room and they don't understand what's happening and they go up to a kid and go, what are you doing? They can go, well, you're not making progress on my topic selection, right? I think any educator worth their salt, any administrator worth their salt will understand that that is do that's the heavy lifting that happens, right. right? Not everything has to be written down. And this is where all of those outlines and these teacher pay teacher strategies come in is we want everything to be physical. We want everything to have physical space. And I just think it's, it's not worth it. I, I think we limit students when we force them to have to put every single thought that they have onto a piece of paper in order to show that they're working. I think it's lazy. I think the, the, I think it has its place, but when you limit everything to that and don't value students just speaking to you and then writing down what they say in conferences and going through that process, it, I think we, I think we undervalue that what happens mentally. And I think it really comes down to how can you show that? How can you advocate for your students in a way that allows for this natural process to exist, them to get quote unquote credit for it in your classroom. And that way they don't ever feel negative by it. The more negativity they feel from not physically doing something, I think the less writing you're going to get. 
right? Yeah. In that early, mm-hmm. in that early time, you, I think the reason my kids produce so much writing and, and are always thinking about their topics and really come to love the writing in our classroom is simply because I show them in every step of the way that they're not going to be punished if they don't add words to their draft in a day or two days, or, you know, sometimes it goes longer than that, that, but I do expect them to be able to talk to me, to be able to go through this process to, I expect them to be thinking about this. And sometimes I do catch kids who are just jacking around, right? This isn't like a utopia. I have kids who, you know, like they'll sit there and start, they'll start playing soccer with a water bottle in the corner of my room. Like that stuff happens. Uh, but uh, that that's the anomaly. I, the vast majority of them really are sitting there. They might be talking, they might be listening to music, but they're processing and going through this. And my evidence of that is because I'm having real conversations with them and they can actually speak to that. And I trust what students say and we build that trust back and forth. And it creates this, this symbiotic relationship where we understand where this is going. My job is to encourage them and to help them along the way, but ultimately they're doing the work. And I don't under, I don't see how anyone could argue with that. That's what we want. We want students to own their work. That's what this is doing. Well, just a thought. It does. It's not really. This is just. I got one of your students, right? And so I was having them to do a quote respond to a quote from Martin Luther King since it was Martin Luther King week for us. And um, so anyway, I said, get out your draft book. I want you to work this in your draft book. And he goes, oh, you do the same thing Mr. Chastain does. (laughs) And he went right to town. He, you know, he at least knew. Oh, okay. So uh, anyway, I can tell he's been writing in your class because he did write. He did right. So, you know, it's funny. The one I, I forgot to tell you this, I forgot we talked about this on the podcast until now, but he's the one I talked about where he had every he could talk about what he did in the, the poetry project we did, but he didn't like it was horrible, right? It was right. <laughs> now he that struggled when I said that he wrote, but yeah, he, he can yeah. and he will. And that's that's what we do is we we're differentiating on such a large scale that even someone who is so behind. Right. Spelling problems. Gra- I mean, writing problems, thinking issue. I mean, gaps in all kinds of knowledge. But he's a sweet kid. He's willing to do the work and he has done the work. Right. But that's where he is. We're not we're not punishing him because of his past experiences be that he has no control over. He's a child. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, he only it, he's only existed in the world that adults have put him in. And I think the power of what we're doing on our campus and in our classrooms and in our workshops is honoring who they are when they come in and just meeting them where they are. I think that this what this whole process is about. Right. Well. And that's it for Crafty Draft, ladies and gentlemen. You always know when the end is coming when Ochoa goes, well, but that's the end of this podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I always love when we do a pure writing conversation. More in a positive mood tonight. It's a Saturday night. We love our Saturday night podcast. If you love listening to Craft and Draft, subscribe so you don't miss any podcast. We release them every single Friday. If you want to get us, if you want a guest on the show, let us know who you would like to hear from. You know, some of the bigger names are harder to get sometimes. We we make it happen, but we're looking for another guest. We had Laura Robb on the podcast a while ago, but... That was a year know, ago. It was, so I feel like it's time for ago, another this, one. This, mm-hmm. Bring someone on, just someone different, just to be able to ask and kind of go through that uh, that process. So 
Um, if you if you're a listener, regular listener, let us know who you would like to hear from. Maybe we can make it happen. But uh, if you enjoyed this episode, whether you're first time listener, second time, if you've been listening to us since the very beginning, leave a rating, hit that star button. It really does help us rank among all of the other educational podcasts out there. There's quite a bit of teacher podcasts these days. So if you enjoy craft and draft and you think other teachers will enjoy it, uh, hitting that star button is definitely one of the best ways. Also share with your PLC, your PLN and everything in between like craft and draft on Facebook. Find us at craft and draft workshop.com. Submit a question. If you want us to respond to a question, you might be a lucky one. And we will literally talk about your question for an hour or more uh, because that's what we love to do. That's Pam Show. I'm Jacob Chastain. This is Craft and Draft. And know that we are here for you. <laughs> <laughs>